0: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Gordon Ramsay to my Aaron Ramsay. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? I'm good. It's it's always this in-between period where
1: things are a little bit dull, run out of things to watch on TV. There's no sport to really satisfy the, the taste buds of being busy. But at least we're doing this. At least we're recording a podcast and... Yeah, keeping ourselves out of trouble.
0: But other than that, I'm I'm great, Ryan. I'm a, I'm really good. I'm glad you brought up the we're still recording a podcast thing because I was having a look through my podcast feed the other day, and it's quite ridiculous how. Few podcasts are still putting out content. Like all the yeah. podcasts I listen to, I think there's only one which has stuck to its usual schedule. And that, I accept there isn't much football going on right now, but still, there's plenty of stuff for, for us to talk about, isn't there? So we're one of the only podcasts which are actually, you know, still giving something back to the listener. I think it's, I think it's yeah. quite unacceptable from other podcasts.
1: I, I completely agree. They are doing everybody they're doing the world a disservice the 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 complete world everybody on this rock floating around space right now they're doing everybody a disservice but also can you imagine the backlog of news they're gonna have to cover when they do return how stressful that'll be It's, it's a bit like i don't know doing 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 a shopping at the end of the week and getting everything on a sunday it's crazy it's manic it's awful just do it bit by
0: bit during the week and you'll be fine I'm not sure about that simile, but I see where you're coming from. Some podcasts have literally finished the season and then not put anything else out since, and that's poor in itself. If you do, you just do a weekly news roundup at the very least. That's yeah. what we're doing, and we're putting something else on top as well. Plus, plus, what else are we going to do? Go on holiday, have a break? <laughs> do they yeah. really think we are <laughs> Tories? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think I think it, I do think it is like I think you've got a duty as a podcaster, <laughs> uh, particularly a football podcaster, to keep putting out content because people are still going to work, people are still going to the gym, people are still going on walks or whatever they do while they're listening to the podcast. And now there's like people are struggling around, scrimming around to try and find something to listen to. Yeah, and who are they going to abuse during this quiet period? Nobody. <laughs> Exactly. So we're getting more (laughs) abuse than usual, (laughs) despite being one of the only podcasters actually going out there and doing more stuff. It gets me so (laughs) exercised, Justin. Anyway, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's another news roundup and my God, there is plenty for us to talk about from the past week. We now finally have managers at Leeds United and Sheffield Wednesday both of them have finally got someone in through the door so we'll talk about both of those appointments we'll also talk about all the latest transfer news from the past week and a few other bits and pieces as well we'll also finish off with Scott High and Ryan Lowe right at the end so let's kick things off with Leeds United and Daniel Farker is their new manager it seemed for a long time like it was going to be him but the move was being held up by the takeover Justin you were excited before. About this appointment, I assume you still think it's a good appointment. I do. I really, really do. I think it's it's a safe appointment, given his championship
1: record. But looking into it a little bit deeper, his time at Norwich, in the championship especially, was really quite fruitful. And I think even in the Premier League, he, he did his best with what he had, I think would be the way to describe it. But as I say, looking into things a little bit deeper... Obviously at Norwich utilise that 4 2 3 1 quite heavily. I think that's a, a quite quite a nice bedrock to, to really sit on. The spine of the Leeds team is something that interests me. As long as they retain most of their players, you've got a spine of Meslier, Charlie Cresswell, um Pascal Strike, Patrick Bamford, potentially Rodrigo. There's a really good group of players there that, that Fart can build the team around. And then when you look into the philosophy side of things, I don't think it's too dissimilar to what the philosophies were built on with Marcelo Bielsa in that it's high press attacking football. Obviously, there are big differences, but that is the crux of Daniel Falkball, really, is, is, is getting on the front foot um, and putting the team, putting opposition under pressure. And that's what he's going to want to bring in. And I think that's going to be a nice transition for those Leeds players who have been used to that style over the last few years. Um, and he's got ability of bringing young players through at Norwich. We've seen the likes of Max Ahrens, Ben Godfrey, ben Godfrey um, Jamal Lewis, Todd Campbell. they've all come through. James Madison broke through into the first team under Daniel Farker as well, which everybody forgets because everybody forgets that really dull season under him in, the, in his first year at Norwich. So, yeah, for me, I'm I'm really excited. I think his his points per game, for example, at Championship levels, 1.8. That's including that uh, season where Norwich finished 14th. I think it's a really good appointment. I think it's a really smart appointment, especially at Championship level. And I think if he's 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 going into this with a point to prove as well, given his spells at Mönchengladbach and the Premier League spell of Norwich City. So
0: yeah, top uh, top appointment there, I think, from, from Leeds. I'm going to disagree with you, Justin. I'm not a fan of this appointment. I'll start off by saying Daniel Farker did a wonderful job in the Championship with Norwich. They blitzed the league twice, playing beautiful football along the way. It's undeniable how good a job he did in the second tier of Norwich previously. I've got a few concerns, though. The main one is his tactical naivety which got horrendously exposed twice in the Premier League. Norwich were abysmal on two occasions in the top flight under his watch. Sure, they didn't sign very well and they were always going to struggle, but he didn't make them competitive in any way and they just got they were just basically the whipping boys twice when they're in the Premier League. He's coming off the back of a season at Borussia Mönchengladbach where he was sacked after one season. They were aiming for the European places but finished mid-table. When he was at Norwich, he needed a full season before things got going, which you quite rightly say people forget about. Um, Will Leeds be as patient? I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not sure the fans in particular will be as patient. They'll be expecting to get back to the Premier League at the first time of asking and considering how long it took Farker to get going at Norwich, I don't think that will be the case. And will Leeds be as patient, especially when you consider only one manager has lasted longer than a year in the last nine years at Leeds and that was Marcello Bielsa an <laughs> exceptional manager so the thing is as well when things did get going for Farker at Norwich it was in large part down to the fantastic business that Stuart Webber did when he initially came in you look at the two promotion seasons they had two exceptional players in Emi Brandia and Timmy Puki at this level two of the best players ever really at championship level and would he have managed to get a tune out of Norwich without those players there? I highly doubt it. So I don't like disappointment.
1: I understand where you're coming from. But I think if you you pick the bones out of it and focus on those two championship seasons where he really thrived, I think that's where I'm focusing my, my attention especially. That being said, you mentioned they weren't competitive, but they did pick up some good results in the Premier League. They beat Man City, for example. Um, at Car Road, they yeah, they it's showed one off though. Justin, Nathan yeah, Jones, I know, I know. Nathan I know, Jones but... not Man City out of the League Cup. Yeah, true. He stopped the stopped the historic quadruple, didn't he? No one gives exactly. credit for it. But anyway, <laughs> um, there, there were there were murmurs of, um, of of quality from Norwich when they um, when they were confident and when they could get could get going. Um, but for me, I think at Championship level, I think this is as astute as you can get, unless you're trying to pluck a an unknown from an unknown league yeah. um, or you get surprised by a Marcelo Bielsa type appointment I think this is um, a safe appointment I think it's a good apo- a good safe appointment I should say and as I say that philosophy I think is going to help things as well it's a, it's a high press it's an attacking style um, Leeds score a lot of goals they did last season but they conceded a lot and I think that, naturally that will tighten up anyway um, but for me, under Farker, I think there's a there's a really good squad here. I think we're underestimating how quality this squad currently is without departures, potential departures going on over the next few weeks. Jack Harrison, for example, in the championship would be ridiculous. Joe uh mentioned Charlie Gressel, Sam Greenwood. There's some really good youngsters coming through as well. So I'm more optimistic than you, which is a change actually. You're the you're the optimist. I'm I'm definitely not. So different side of the fence there.
0: I I think what you were just saying about players leaving I think there's going to be loads of players leaving Leeds over the next few weeks all the players well most of the players who they signed in the Premier League have made murmurs about wanting to leave which isn't a good place to be in in the first place so I won't get too excited about the squad that he may potentially have available to him I think it may look very different to the one that they had last season you say it's a safe appointment I'm getting strong Slovice Okanovic at Sheffield United vibes from this, where you look at his championship record and it's fairly untouchable, but then it just went completely wrong for whatever reason. And you'll admit, Justin, at the time when that appointment was made, you'd have thought that was a safe appointment, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, no, you are right. It's, it's. This is why, I mean, every appointment's a risk, um, and I do think it is a safe appointment because of his championship record, but there is that element of risk to it that you just... He's not done it anywhere else other than Norwich, so he might he might struggle um, at, at Leeds. But you know, I'd, I'd hope that he's had enough experience by now to to avoid that situation. But it's a fair argument; it's a good point. And you know, Slivy Sle- Sle- did did really struggle, but that was a real stylistic issue; that was a big problem. And I think that's the big difference with this and Farka. I don't think it's that different um, in terms of styles moving from Bielsa and Marsh to. I don't well consider Sam, don't consider Sam Allardyce in this. He had, he had four weeks in charge. Um, I don't think it's a big stylistic uh, revolution there for Daniel Farker.
0: I just think if you compare Leeds to the other relegated sides, it feels as if Leicester and Southampton have been more ambitious and imaginative with their appointments. They've gone for managers with potential who could be the start of the project if, all being well, Maresca... Martin could be in charge of Leicester and Southampton, respectively, for years to come. I wouldn't trust Daniel Farker in the Premier League based off what he did with Norwich before. So I think if you're looking at this from a Leeds perspective, you're just looking at Daniel Farker and saying, get us back to the Premier League, which I think is his chief job. I just mm. think it's, I think they've played it too safe. Probably.
1: But then again, there are there are new um, there are new regime coming in, so they probably looked at the record and gone right. Let's get him in. That might be the case as well. But yeah, you know, I, I do think I, I honestly do think I think the appointments of Russell Martin and and Andrew uh, are two riskier appointments than, than, than Daniel Farquhar many because they they don't have the track record that that Farquhar does in the championship, and obviously with Mareska, Of is they are Justin. Yeah, well, th- this is this this is it. It's, they're hard they're hard to compare, but. Well, again when you look at managers elsewhere around that are available it's not the best of time I think to, to be going out and getting appointments I think the boat's been missed I think in terms of getting sort of high profile managers you look at Michael Carrick going into Borough that was a risk um, but he's done well you know before that the year before that Chris Wilder was available for example everyone would have been swimming to get him um, I don't think we have that you know selection managers around at the moment to, to really pick from, which I think has made things a little bit harder for those teams coming down from the Premier
0: League. And the budgets make it harder as well, I think, as well. Well, you look at the people who did really well in the Championship last season, they were basically all risks, really. Vincent Company was undoubtedly a risk coming in mm. from Belgium after a, a so-so spell at Andelect. Paul Heckingbottom you know, wasn't really looked upon in the greatest advisor. He wouldn't have got a job at any other championship side, I don't think, before he went to Sheffield United. Rob Edwards had just been sacked by Watford and previously was just managing in League 2, 1-2. Two. Um, Mark Roberts has been in charge at Coventry for a while now, so we'll discount him. Michael Carrick was previously just a coach, hadn't had any mm-hmm. previous managerial experience. So I think you've got to take a risk nowadays, and that's what, you know, Southampton and Leicester have done, whereas Leeds have... Played it too safe, and that's just why I think you've got to be a bit more imaginative with these appointments now. And I don't know, I, I I'm just not getting good feelings about this appointments. I've got to say. Anyway, let's head down to uh, let's head down the M1 to Sheffield, where Wednesday have appointed a new manager after the departure of Darren Moore. Former Watford boss Isco Munoz is taking over. He won promotion with the Hornets in 2021. Isco Munoz, Justin. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I I find it really difficult to to
1: judge him. Um, i have reading a lot of what the Watford fans have said. I've seen a lot of comments saying no tactics, just vibes, which is an interesting interesting uh, thought process in terms of the appointment. Looking at his track record as well, I thought he had a a a, a deeper a deeper track record at a managerial level. Actually, I think he was quite lucky to get the Watford job. To be honest with you. Um, but uh, again, looking into what Watford fans were saying and looking into the numbers, a lot of Wednesday fans are thinking they've got an attacking coach. Don't think that's the case. Um, he's not a defensive coach by any means. But if you're looking at that Watford team, the principles in which that Watford team was built on that season under Vladimir Rijich was was painfully boring defensive football. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal to watch. And it was the year everybody was at home, and you could switch off and imagine a lot of fans may, may have done may have done that. Um, But that being said, he won 18 18 of his 26 games in charge, which is a good record. At the same time, again, if you're looking at it tactically, built the team around Saw, came in and got a little bit more out of the attack. Um, And that that really pushed Watford over the line. So I find him incredibly difficult to judge if I was to compare him and Darren Moore. I don't think it's a big big improvement uh, or any improvement at all. I think I would have rather have kept Darren Moore, to be honest with you. And again, if Sheffield Wednesday fans logically... Sheffield Wednesday things are like, uh, thinking in it, they're getting this attacking coach. Isco Munoz is going from you know, the likes of Ishmael Asar, Charles Pedro at the time, um, going from those sorts of players to Michael Smith and Callum Patterson. It's a big, big technical drop-off. A big, big technical drop-off. So it would be interesting to see what you can do with them. Um, I don't think the squad's
0: built for a, a manager of his style if it is attacking football that we're getting from him. Do you not think it's a safe appointment considering what you were just saying about Farker and his record at Championship level? (laughs) Well, he won promotion. I think that's a Chancery thought process, but it's not a a
1: two-season league blitz, is it? They finished second and a manager the previous half of the season did the groundwork for him, so I don't think it is that safe, no.
0: Well, it just seems like you're contradicting yourself based off what you're saying about Farker, Um, (laughs) in, I'm concerned with this appointment. We're... Talking about a guy who, since leaving Watford, has had a bit of a stinker. He went to Huesca in the Spanish second tier and was sacked after winning nine games from 30. And then he was sacked at Anorthosis Famagusta in Cyprus after just three months. So, not great since he's left Vicarage Road. But going back to his spell at Watford, he did a good job undeniably getting them promoted. He was working with an extremely talented squad, though, who were already underperforming when he came in. You've got Ishmael Assange, Al Pedro, etc. They were expected to do much better than they were doing. And then he came in and basically just did that. Then he got to the Premier League and was really exposed as a manager and sacked very early on. Would I want him in charge of a side looking to stay up? No, I wouldn't. Tactically, I don't think he plays the kind of football that would suit that kind of side. Having said that, I'm not really sure what is... Tactics are. Yeah. I, initially, I thought he was a kind of front foot kind of manager, but having looked into it a bit deeper, I, I don't really know what his style was. Just seemed to be get it to Ishmael Hassan, let him do something. But uh, I think he'll be well liked by the players. There were loads of Watford players saying they really enjoyed playing under him, and that's all well and good. But you need a bit more of a tactical noose about you, don't you, to actually stay up in the Championship. Mm-hmm. They'd have been much better off getting a Dean Smith or Nathan Jones, in my view. But, I mean, out of the managers I saw them linked with, it looked like it was going to be one of four or five managers up until the last couple of days. And I think he was probably the one I thought would be the worst option. Definitely. Again, I agree with you. A safe
1: appointment in Dean Smith um, or Nathan Jones... Would have been would have been a, a, a much better option, but I don't think that's the Chancery really way. Well. I think his safe appointments tend to have fared a lot better than um, than his risky ones. You're looking at Joss Joss Lukhakai, for example. I mean, Carlos Carval was a risk. To be fair, that worked out. But Steve Bruce came in. That was a safe appointment. Did did well in his short time. Darren Moore was a safe appointment. That was a short time. Then the uh, Gary Mux as well in there. So not necessarily the case. But nonetheless, I think this one is a risk, and also it's a risk based on not too much background into you know, it's just because as I say his track record's not the best I know he got Watford promoted but is that enough to really convince you that he's the man to to take charge of this team from a, a team that's been built upon by Darren Moore we've seen how together that squad was in numerous videos after that playoff final so to to go from that to, to a complete unknown um, in, in some respects is is it yeah is it is a giant step I've seen a lot of people say he's a really nice guy but Nice guys don't don't win, don't win football games, do they? You need you need your Neil Warnocks and to quote Jose Mourinho, you need to be a bit more of a bastard. So maybe that's not the, the way forward. It's it's a it's a left
0: field appointment and one that I don't think will last too long. If I'm being honest, hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. I think he may very well continue the kind of good vibes in the changing rooms. I I firmly think that if Sheffield Wednesday head into next season with The current starting 11 they've had, ignoring the squad depth for a sec, because squad depth is a huge problem considering they've only got 17 senior players on their books. They went into the next season with the starting 11 they've got plus maybe two centre halves. They'd be absolutely fine. Now that they've got this appointment over the line, my feeling is that they're more in danger of going down before this appointment, now than before this appointment, if you see what I mean. So. Mm just because it is such a risk it's a huge risk especially after you know that Watford spell that short Watford spell was the mm-hmm. only thing you can really look at and say yeah that's proven experience at a decent level so hmm yeah I'm really really not sure about this one I've got to say just let's take a quick break after that we'll go through all the transfer news from the past week in the championship Welcome back to the second tier podcast. This is a news roundup and it's time for us to go through all the transfers from the past week in the championship. And we'll start off with Cardiff, who reportedly could be bringing Aaron Ramsey back to his boyhood club. sports say he's held talks over a return. He's a free agent after leaving French side Nice. Interesting to know what you think, Justin, on this one would certainly be one of the biggest transfers of the summer, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, without doubt. I think firstly, I was surprised to learn that he's going to be 33 in December. For some reason in my head, he's still 27. Yes. He's just been 27 for the last five or six years. So to find out he's going to be 33 in uh, yeah December, not only makes me go, oh Christ, he's, he's he's getting on a bit, but also makes me think, oh Christ, I'm getting on a bit as well. Um, but yeah, I think this is a transfer that definitely sits in the in the heart section, doesn't it? Of, of logic it's a it's an, an emotion based transfer, um, which I'm which I'm all for because I think you know if you look at Aaron Ramsey's performance for Wales, he's done very very well for Wales, a lot better for Wales over the last four or five years than he has done at club level. Um, so I think that's a you know if we're going from that angle, I think it's a a good signing. If this was any other team, not Cardiff, I would stay well clear of it. I wouldn't go near Aaron Ramsey. Um, mainly because looking at the last few years, he's not started over 20 games since 2017 18 season, which is quite a long time ago now. Um, and there's the injury record as well, and then there's the the fact that it's a 46 game season in a championship. Obviously, he's not going to play every week. But if you get a player on of his quality and you get injured and you build a team around him, you've got a big a big problem. Um, sure, if you get legs around him, I think the likes of Joe Rolls, Andrew Rinna-Motta, um I think. Plays like that. If you get them around him, I think he could potentially do well. But logically speaking, it's not a transfer that makes sense. But as I say, that that um, that factor of coming into your to your boyhood club might outweigh the the logic behind the, the behind the signing. And he, and he might do well for Cardiff. I think that's the only thing that's really going for him at the moment is the fact that he's a you know he's going to be really returning to his boyhood club and it couldn't lock a um, a Wales type run of form for him. But as I say,
0: any other club I'd stay well clear of it. Yeah, I agree with most of what you just said there, Justin. I still think Aaron Ramsey is a very good player. He rediscovered some form in France, was starting pretty much every game Nice had in this 12-game unbeaten run they had around wintertime. Wasn't suffering with injuries too much either, considering they've dogged him quite a lot throughout his career. That's a big plus, so that's all very good. I'm just looking at this and I'm getting a bad feeling. About it. I'm sure it'll make the fans happy. It's a nice bit of nostalgia. He's a big name. Fans like these kind of signings, don't they? I'm not a fan of these kind of signings, though. There's loads of examples of them not working than, well, loads more examples of them not working than working. You've got Craig Bellamy joining Cardiff uh, as an excellent example of it working, although Bellamy his performances were at a much higher level than Ramsey's are now, then you've got the examples which didn't go so well. The likes of, off the top of my head, Troy Deeney to Birmingham, Shane Long to Reading, Jonathan Woodgate to Middlesbrough, Tom Huddleston to Derby, just a few off the top of my head where they didn't really work out, uh, despite getting quite a bit of fanfare from the supporters at the time. I also don't think this move is going to be cheap. He won't be on his niece wages at Cardiff, but I think fans will underestimate how much of a pay cut he's or, or overestimate underestimate overestimate how much of a pay cut he he'll be taking to go to Cardiff. He won't be playing for a pittance. I'm looking around at Cardiff squad and I'm thinking they need a lot more than just an aging Aaron Ramsey they've got one of the mm-hmm. weakest squads in the league in my eyes so. Well, I think this move will get fans excited, and that's fine, the reality in these types of scenarios very rarely matches the expectations. And you're quite right. He wouldn't be getting another Premier League club now, so he's not a Premier League player anymore. Um, if he went to a top, like a, one of the relegated sides from the Premier League, I'd be a bit concerned. So they may be paying over the odds for a player who... He, he may not match the expectations as I was just saying. Really, so mm, yeah. yeah, I, I think it brings good vibes to the club, but Cardiff need a lot more than just an ageing Aaron Ramsay. Yeah, completely agree with that. As I say, I think the
1: only factor that's going for him, logically speaking, is the fact that he's returning to his boyhood club. So it might unearth that. The, the, the form that he showed to Wales over the last couple of years. And we know how good that Aaron Ramsey has been. And to be fair, that team's been built around legs around Aaron Ramsey as well. So that might be a factor that plays into it. But I think, as I've said, I think any other club would just say no to him because it's just too much of a risk. Unless He's coming in as a squad player who on a significantly um, reduced salary, as you say. But look, I think Cardiff... Need a bit of inspiration, and I think this this could provide it. I think, as I say, all of the all of the good things that point to this transfer are the ones that don't sit with any logic whatsoever. So, uh, and sometimes sometimes that, that that works. So I think I do think it, it, it could be a good signing, but there are just too many variables at working against Aaron Ramsey in the Championship to, to to really make me get excited about it. And I think not being a Cardiff fan probably doesn't help that, but. Look, if he comes in, does well, plays 30 games, scores seven or eight goals and contributes to them staying up, he's had a good year. So that might be the factor, but there's
0: got to be a lot going in, in their favour for, for that to happen. Yeah, it's a very favourable way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> but what you're basing that on is a big question. Yeah. Let's discuss the confirmed deals in the Championship from the past week and stick with Cardiff. They've signed former Chelsea striker E.K. Ugbo on loan from French side Troyes? 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 Twice, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> he scored twice in 24 games in league last season after signing for two and a half million pounds from Belgian side Gank. Cardiff need a striker. Justin, is he the answer? Um, to be honest with you, not quite sure. There's not a lot to go off. Um,
1: he's not been a prolific forward in his senior time so far, but. Um, they need depth in that final third. I think, you know, I really like the look of Keanu Tete last season. I know he picked up a couple of injuries, but that's the player I would be leaning on. Um, again, it's a bit of a a bit of a left field signing, but he's got pedigree in England, which which is useful. And he was a highly rated prospect at one point at Chelsea. Um, but he's a difficult one to nail down because he's not had a, a particularly prolific record. That being said, if you're putting Callum Robson behind him, it might get more out of Callum Robson. So you don't always need a, a striker who's going to score in, Uh, going to come in and score 15-20 goals as long as it unlocks the potential in others around him that might be useful but I do think Cardiff's priority is getting more creativity into that team and um, getting a sorry Cabba-like player in and I don't think uh, Ugbo is, is that type of player
0: to be fair I think they need a bit more creativity and they just need a good striker as well. They need quite a lot to Cardiff, don't they? He's a gamble, to say the very least. A roll of the dice because his goal record from the last two seasons isn't mind-blowing. 10 goals over 56 league games. Wasn't a starter for Troye last season and made most of his appearances off the bench. Troye ended up being relegated and it's got to be said, the bottom end of League One is pretty poor. I'd probably say... Comparable to the bottom half of the championship, if I'm being brutally honest. So his recent career isn't something to shout about. What you can look at though is this amazing period over two seasons where he was averaging a goal every two games. That was a Roda in the Dutch second tier and then of Bruges in the Belgian league. Cardiff will be hoping they see that player because for two seasons he was. Brilliant. And that led to him moving for two and a half million uh, initially to Genk and then moving again to Troy a. So I just don't know if we'll see that player. Cardiff really need him to be that player. But who can say for sure if he will be, particularly where when he may struggle for chances in this Cardiff team, the way it's looking at the moment. Hull have signed Man City's Liam Delap. On a season-long loan, the 20-year-old striker had loan spells at Stoke and Preston last season, scoring four goals in 38 appearances. Justin Peach?
1: I think he's a really good profile of player. Um, there's been a lot of people saying, oh, he failed last season, but it was his first step into into senior football. And he went into an absolute dumpster fire, to be polite, to Stoke City, let's be honest. They... they they were a weird side last year uh, under uh, Michael O'Neill and Alex, uh, Alex Neal. Um, but I think if you if you want a player who's going to go in and thrive under a coach, then you want him to go and play under Liam Rossini, to be absolutely blunt. And I think Liam Rossini is going to do a really good job with him. I, I do believe that. Um, but he's a really good profile of player, He's, he's, he's a good physicality. Um, he makes some really good runs. And his finishing, oh, especially at academy level, was incredible. He just needs to uh, transfer that into... Into senior football, and I think he's got the potential to do it. He's still a, he's still only very very young, and I do think Hall's a, a really good uh, a really good option for him. And again, I think it's the Liam Rossini factor that that really does get me excited about it. Even though looking at last
0: season, Malcolm Ebioa didn't quite work out. Yeah, look, last season was bad. Both his spells at Stoke and Preston were bad. <laughs> There's just no <laughs> no two, two ways about it, really. Is there? There is a player there, though. We know this. He was. Very highly rated at City. And you don't play six games for the first team as a teenager if you're not a talent. I think from a Hull perspective, it's well worth taking the gamble on someone like him. It seems low risk. And I just get the sense under the right manager, he could be a phenomenal signing. Is Liam Rizini that manager? Only time will tell. He gives Hull a lot of pace up front. He's good at carrying the ball forwards. We saw that in the spells at Stoke and Preston last season. It was just the goals that were missing. If he adds goals to that, Hull are on to a winner. So I think it's just confidence with him, isn't it? He was scoring goals for fun for Man City's under-23s or B team, whatever they're called. So he clearly has finishing ability. It probably is just confidence is really low after what was a really bad Mm -hmm. season. Two goals in, you know, first two games of the season or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> then he could be firing for fun, couldn't he, for mm-hmm. Hall, So yeah, don't really know, but it's definitely, take. It's, you've got to take the gamble with, with with this kind of player. And yeah, if he does pay off, then you, you, Hall could be laughing to the bank, couldn't know? Ethan Laird has joined Birmingham on a permanent deal. The 21-year-old right-back moves from Manchester United for a reported fee of three quarters of a million. He's agreed a three-year deal, spent last season on loan at QPR and had spells at Bournemouth and Swansea prior to that. Justin, I think this is an unbelievable signing. Three quarters of a million pounds. Yeah. For a 21-year-old
1: uh, wing-back who at Swansea was, was very, very good, shouldn't have gone to Bournemouth, and in the first half of the season, last season at QPR, again, was was very, very good, one of the outstanding performers at at fullback. Three quarters of a million pounds. Manchester United have had their pants down. They're not going to fix Old Trafford. <laughs> They're going to fix Old Trafford <laughs> with business like that, are they? Jesus. Honestly, that's that such a good deal. Um And again, 21 years old. Ethan Laird's got so much time to develop. This has been a really good summer for Birmingham. And there's no way we were getting carried away earlier by asking the questions that if their transfer business continues in the same vein as it is, that they could be contenders. I'm getting really, really good things from Birmingham City at the moment. This is, yeah, this is a really good signing. He's got all the attributes you need from an attacking wing back. Um, We've spoken at length about Laird quite a few times but he's a complete shift from Maxim Collin who was a very safe fullback no no thrills going forward but very solid defensively and I think that's the big change he's not quite as good as Collin defensively but going forwards he will offer a hell of a lot but he's got time to refine his game a little bit. Um, I can't say anything else really I've, I praise his signing monumentally this is a really really good deal for Birmingham City and again they're having everybody's pants down what's going on this is ri- ridiculous this is where's this Birmingham City been over the last five or six years it's crazy
0: yeah Birmingham's business over the last year and this window in particular eye-catching to say the least isn't it Can't, considering they're so poorly run under BH, BHSL They've played an absolute blinder. In the last year, they've signed Tarif Chung, Christian Bielik, Tyler Roberts, Ethan Laird and Emmanuel Longello for a total of less than £5 They spent around £10 on them. I'd probably still be thinking that's good business. All of them are 25 and younger as well, by the way. It's one of the most impressive starts to a transfer window I've seen in a long time. And Mm -hmm. Birmingham have gone from being a side, I wasn't too fussed about next season. I wasn't expecting them to do much. Now I'm thinking they could do something. They might even be a dark horse because it's just such an impressive window. And they still need to strengthen in a few positions. That's undeniable. But a remarkable few signings at that cost certainly uh, gets you excited, doesn't it? The thing is, even if they
1: do okay this year um, and Birmingham City finish 14th, 13th, Twelfth, wherever I think that's a good year for Birmingham City because these signings are bedding in. They've had a good year. They're still young. Next year they're going to be better, and the value is just going to keep going up and up and up. Yeah, um, which is only going to serve Birmingham, uh, you know, positives going forwards in the future. It's it's the same ethos that most clubs I think need to need to take in the Championship. It's that. A Signing signing young, young, hungry players, developing them and selling them and then reinvesting that in a squad. And that will slowly, if you follow Brentford's uh, f- philosophy, that'll slowly improve you and you get high quality players. Really, really good business from Birmingham City. And again, they've got a really good coach in John Eustace. It's, I think, a very exciting time to be a Birmingham, a Birmingham City fan going into summer. When was the last time they could say that? Genuinely, when yeah. was the last time they could say that? We're talking, I don't know, 13 years ago? It's, Must it's, be. Cert-
0: it's certainly... The first time I'm excited about heading into a season with Birmingham City since we started this podcast, Justin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. because in the, over the past few years they've just been lower half mid table, haven't they, uh, yeah. in the Championship, like, sniffing at relegation every so often. So. Yeah, this is a really, really bright summer and I never expected it to happen, but here we are. It's, it's very, very exciting. Joe Bryan has gone to Millwall on a free transfer. The 29-year-old has recently been let go by Fulham, spent last season on loan at Nice. I was a bit amazed that Joe Bryan is still only 29, so a player as good as him in his peak years just in getting him on a free, really good signing. It's Not the type
1: of signing Millwall do either, um, to be honest with you, That where they get a really high-profile player, uh, probably in his peak years maybe come to the end of his peak years but definitely certainly in those peak years um, convincing him to come to, to to Millwall was a really good sign of intent from Gary Rowe it's a, it's a really good signing we were speaking about him not too long ago actually Joe Bryan I, I thought he could have got a contract at a lower end Premier League club I, I do stand by that I think he's got a lot of quality but certainly we were pitching him to, to clubs pushing for promotion I think Millwall are going to be in that category um, next season considering the business and the intent that they've shown so far so yeah, Joe Bryan's again, a bit like Ethan Laird, similar discussion. He's got all the attributes that you want from a full-back. He's, he is solid defensively and he's very good going forwards as well. Um, and he's going to give Millwall a lot of options in that wide left area. I think it's a really, really good signing and um, I think it's a smart one as well. They, they poached him from
0: a, from a number of clubs, if I'm led to believe the reports are correct. Yeah, Joe Bryan is simply an excellent player at Championship level, superb when Fulham got promoted a few years ago, has been brilliant whenever he's been asked to play. I'm sure he would have played more times for Fulham in the past few years at Championship and Premier League level if he wasn't up against an exceptional left-back in Mm -hmm. Anthony Robinson. I think he'll make Millwall less of a rigid side as well. Murray Rollis has made the left-back slot his own pretty much over the past couple of seasons, and when Millwall have played with a back four, Joe Bryan offers a lot more going forwards than him, and will happily play as a fullback or a wing back. So, an excellent signing. It'll be no surprise to anyone that he was attracting quite a bit of Championship interest. So, Millwall have fought off a lot, a lot, a lot of competition, and that's because he's a. Damn good player. Swansea have got their summer business underway. They've signed 26-year-old former Hearts forward Josh Ginnelly on a free. He's agreed a three-year deal. As well as 23-year-old right-back Josh Key from Exeter. They're going to have to pay compensation for him. Two good signings, Justin. Ginnelly, in particular looks like he could be a really smart move. His shooting numbers, quite mind-blowing. He scored 12 goals in the league for Hearts last season. He had a total XG of 5.4. he scored from 26% of his shots which only two players could top in the Championship last season so his finishing was unbelievable scored a couple of worldies along the way too which won't hurt also lightning quick can play on the right but really flourished after moving up front and playing as a lone striker it's worth saying it's by far the best season of his career so far so could be just a flash in the pan but if he continues his form from last season Swansea have a real player on their hands would be an excellent replacement for Joel Pirro if he indeed leaves I think it's a no frills forward isn't he uh, to be to be really blunt this might might sound
1: harsh but uh, you know you know what he offers you He's he's got pace and he can shoot um, <laughs> again it's a really plain way of explaining it but what do you mean no thrills well in terms of no thrills forward he's not exactly a player who's going to collect the ball and, and take players on and, and, and drive at them as as successfully as others do. Um, and it's a free transfer and he's coming from the SPL, uh, where he's just coming off the back of his best season of his career. So for me, it's, it's a no thrills scenario. And again, if you're looking at... Does, that, does um, that
0: make 90% of the strikers in the Championship no thrills forwards? Because you don't have many who really run past defenders, do you? And I think no, Ginelli really is, uh, is, is a player who does run past defenders.
1: No, but you're looking at him from a striker's point of view. I don't think he's going to play uh, as a striker. I don't think he'd be the best replacement for Joel Pirro, for example. Um, if you, looking at the overperformance from his goal, his shot conversion, as you were explaining, um, I'm not criticising. I was trying to praise him, but then you've
0: turned it around You've turned it round on me. I, I sound yeah, overly you critical said of him. Positive, Justin. You said he's a no thrills forward, and he's not a good replacement for Joel Pirro. There's nothing wrong with a no-frills forward. There's been plenty of no-frills no forward who have been I don't think a no thrills forward. And I, I don't know what you're, you're basing you're, this on. Yeah, but you're basing it off a s- several months of his career. Looking before that, he's not really yeah, done anything. Said, I said he's just had one good season. But yeah. it was a really, really good season. But if I take the Keshe Anderson route, oh, for God's where sake. Keshe Anderson performed exactly
1: the same way, where he scored some spectacular goals and over overperformed XG, as Josh Ginnany did... Um, you criticise Kesh Henderson, and his injury record didn't help. I know that, but that's that's the sort of, that's the type of player that I've that's sort of entered my head when I thought about Josh Kinley. And that he's pacey, he can cut inside, he's flexible, he's a flexible forward. Um, he's a yeah, say, he's a flexible forward. And he scores some spectacular goals. But is he the player you want to rely on in that final third, especially if his best season's come at the age of 26? Is he going to continue to improve? I don't know. I don't think he'd be a good replacement for Joel Pirro. I do think they need to get smarter with the recruitment. But I think he's going to add
0: some good depth into that final third and some good options. I just don't back the signing as much as you do. I was just saying, I thought it could be a really smart bit of business. I am not saying he's going to be, you know, Ballon d'Or winning next season. Just based off what he did last season, which was an exceptional season, is well worth the gamble. Is what I am saying. Yeah, it's a free transfer. It's it's a no thrill signing. It's, it's that's what does no thrill signing mean? No, it, you've no, not no explained thrills, it at all. No frills is just you, you you get what you get, and you know what you are getting with Josh Gilney. In that, you know, he's no, gonna, you don't, because we were just saying it could be a one off season. You, you, you explained his stats. You explained what he did as a forward. As, yes. You're not... A, we'll move on because I'm getting very frustrated that you not explaining what a no-thrills signing or striker is. And <laughs> we're just getting nowhere. Norwich have signed Spanish ringer Boya Saenz Sain, Sain, on a three-year contract after he left Turkish club Gaironsson... Gey, Gey, Sport. Um, the 22-year-old scored nine goals in 32 games last season. I actually like the signing, Justin. I've been looking into him and he looks a really exciting player. Very good dribbler, loads of pace, very direct, likes to cut inside from the left. He was one of the standout players in a pretty poor Garrison Sport team. I, th- I mean, they only scored 42 goals, so for him to get nine is really good going. The Turkish League decent standard league as well plus 22 years old signing a player he was playing regularly at that level last season could be an excellent bit of business so look Norwich's signing so far I haven't been too enthused by this is more my cup of tea because he could develop into a really good player at 22 years old that's what Norwich should be doing signing young developing to sell on nothing like looking at looking at the numbers and getting over excited is there right no, I... Okay, I, I agree with you on a technical level. Right, you tell player. me what research you've done into Boya science, then, Justin? What research have I done into Boya? I've just looked at his numbers. Exactly the same as exactly. you. I, I don't. I don't want to rely too heavily on YouTube
1: reels because it's mainly just players just throwing balls into the back of the net, and that's that's fine. Um, but numbers wise, he's a technical player, um, and Norwich need more of that in their final third. It was very bland last season, which is why Timmy Pookie didn't score as many goals. As he did, because there wasn't a lot around him to be really blunt. So if you're getting players in that final third who are quality, and again, if you're bullying it around Ashley Barnes, who's a very basic, no frills forward in that final third, then um, then I think it's a, it's a really good um, I think it's a really good addition. It's just whether or not he can settle in the championship, which is always a question when you've got players coming from from different
0: leagues. I can accept no frills forward for <laughs> Ashley Barnes because he's a shit out and works hard. That I can understand. Josh Ginley being a North Falls forward doesn't make any sense at all. Moving on, Plymouth have signed defender Lewis Gibson following his departure from Everton. The 22-year-old was on loan at Bristol Rovers last season and previously had loans at Reading and Sheffield Wednesday. Another really good signing by Plymouth Argyle, which is not a surprise at all considering this is Plymouth Argyle we're talking about. He had struggled on loan before, but then flourished at Bristol Rovers last season. He was there best defender and if you ask people who watched him last season they'll tell you he's a championship defender did miss a few games through injury but when he was (laughs) when he was unavailable Bristol Rovers won just 13% of their games compared to 39% when he did play that is a pretty insane stat isn't it Mm. so the data backs him up as a really solid defender good with his feet too considering he's only 22 they're getting him on a free it's just an extremely clever signing and that's no surprise as I say with Plymouth Argyle is it he's got loads of room to grow as a player could develop into an excellent defender at this level
1: really good really good he's a player that's impressed me uh well especially last season at Bristol Rovers as you say he's he's a comfortable player um at, at the back and that's really um really what Stephen Schumacher is trying to 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 build the team around is he wants to continue his philosophy of playing through the thirds it's a risk but if you've got those players in who are comfortable with the ball at their feet and they're gonna they're comfortable with taking risks, then it's gonna work. Um the way Joe Bottom played last season was a, a little bit similar to I guess Schumacher, but they're a bit more aggressive, heavy metal going forwards. And again, there was a, a huge reliance on, on on getting the ball out from the back. Um and as I say that's why where Gibson stepped in and was, was was a player that thrived defensively, you know, he's gonna settle in. But I do think Plymouth's recruitment I think is is quite smart in that they they're getting young players in. It's very it's smart. recruitment. Yeah, it's it's very smart. Um but even if they get rele- relegated, they go down to League One with possibly one of, what, well, depending on who gets relegated with them, they go down to League One with one of the best squads in League One and they they got the really good chance of coming back up, similar to Luton's recruitment, really, in the Premier League. Um, sorry, Luton, uh, Plymouth are punching above the weight, but they're adding some really smart-profiled players in, into their squad and it's just whether or not they can back that up in, in different positions because defensively they've done very well.
0: They just need to add some depth into that final third and, and creatively as well. Let's move on, Justin. We're going to have to fly through all of these because time is getting on a bit. Matthias Martins is staying with Watford for another season. The 19-year-old Brazilian moved to Vicarage Road on loan from Udinese last January, and will be staying on loan for the coming season. He came with a fair bit of fanfare initially, but barely played, and I kind of forgot about him, Justin. He scored a really good goal, didn't he? I, I remember that. Am I? He scored a, a brilliant goal, and then just completely disappeared off the face of the earth. Am I'm I'm I sure he did? I, I remember him. I remember him in his first game. I think. Putting on an incredible assist or really good assist, that. anyway. I don't think he scored.
1: Yeah, it might have been that, and then he just yeah fell off the face of the earth. And you know, Watford needed a bit of a spark and inspiration. So I think as the season wore on, I was a bit confused as to why they weren't utilising. You uh, slice him in, but yeah, it's he's, he's come back in. Fair enough. It's they've added some more depth, and if he can have the impact that he had, that we think he had in that first game he played, then he's going to be a good player next season. But. Again, a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. But it depends whether or not he's an Ishmael player as well. That's the, the key thing because Ishmael plays a very unique style of football
0: that players need to adapt to, as opposed to um, yeah, bringing in players who who play that style. Meanwhile, there's been a mini-exodus from Watford over the past week. Craig Craig Cathcart has left after nine years at Vicarage Road. He departs with more than 250 appearances under his belt. Defender William Kong has been sold for a million pounds to Greek side Pauk. Portuguese midfielder Domingos Quina has taken the well-trodden route from Watford to Udinese. He moves for an undisclosed fee. Defender Mario Gaspar has mutually agreed to terminate his deal. His spell was quite disappointing at Watford. And finally, Tom Cleverley has announced his retirement from football due to injury. The 33 old only managed three appearances for the Hornets last season. His career feels like he's overachieved but also underachieved I can't explain any further than that Southampton winger Mislav Orsic has completed a transfer to Turkish side Trabzonspor. Spore. the Croatian international joined in January for five million pounds made just five appearances and has reportedly been sold for three and a half million so that went well Sheffield Wednesday had brought in Rhys James permanently not that one he spent last season on loan at Hillsborough from Blackpool joins for an undisclosed fee did very well there didn't he Very versatile, just someone who managers seem to really like. Is he that good at championship level? Don't think so, but Sheffield Wednesday need bodies, don't they? So that's a good start. Sticking with Wednesday, Marvin Johnson has signed fresh terms to stay with the club. He was out of contract, looked like he could be heading out the door, but has now agreed a new deal. Rotherhammer brought in goalkeeper Dylan Phillips on a two year deal. He's been a free agent after leaving Cardiff, spent last season on loan in Belgium at Oostende. Uh, Quite like Dylan Phillips, he was excellent for Charles Mm. Monty a few seasons ago. Can't see him playing ahead of Victor Johansson, though, unless he goes, which is a distinct possibility. Rotherham have also signed centre-back Grant Hall on a permanent deal following his release by Middlesbrough. The 31-year-old was on loan at the New York Stadium last season. QPR have signed defender Ziad LaKirche after he was released by Fulham. The 20-year-old was on loan at Barnsley last season. I assume he's a squad player, only made five starts in League One last season, so... Doesn't thrill me too much, I've got to say. Meanwhile, Chris Martin has left the club after his contract expired. QPR are reportedly looking to get him back, though, although they face competition from elsewhere. Huddersfield have re-signed winger Josh Caroma and fullback Josh Ruffles to two-year contracts. The pair were released at the end of their old deals but will now be staying gone. Middlesbrough have signed Ireland youth forward Alex Gilbert from Brentford on a four-year contract. The 21-year-old turned down the offer of a new deal so he could join Michael Carrick's side. And Mark Harris has left Cardiff. The 24-year-old has been at Cardiff since he was seven and made 35 appearances for them last season. Quite a few months ago for him, uh, quite a few months for him. He's gone from being part of the well squad at the World Cup to being released by Cardiff. So... Yeah, interesting few months for him. Any other business? Huddersfield have named a new sporting director to replace Lee Bromby. Mark Cartwright spent seven years at Stoke as technical director, where he was mainly in charge of recruitment. He was responsible for the signings of the likes of Marko Renaltovic, Zerdin Shaqiri and Bojan, but was also responsible for that disastrous transfer window, which has essentially crippled Stoke for the last few years. (laughs) He was most recently sporting director of the United Soccer League and Huddersfield say his main roles will be player recruitment and contract management. What do you think, Justin? (laughs) A bit
1: like the Cleverly syndrome, isn't it? It's overachieved in terms of recruitment and underachieved massively. Um, I think it's a smart appointment. Lee Bromby, I don't think you could have got worse than Lee Bromby's spell last year, could you? It was really, really bad. And um, I think Mark Cartwright's coming in having reflected, I'd hope, on that spell. At Stoke, that was a disaster and learned from it and spent some time in in the US, which is actually a very, very good place to go out and learn the technical side of football, because there's a lot that they do in the US that is actually pretty spot on um, from a technical level, from a, from yeah contract management to, to to building squads is yeah the, the place to be i think a lot of managers go out there to 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 learn um and so do a lot of technical directors so yeah it's a good place to be and i think coming from that spell is probably going to stand him in good stead and obviously he's obviously developed that relationship with with kevin nargo through his time in the us which again is, is a positive you need that you need that transparency so yeah smart appointment hopefully it's more stoke between 2015
0: 2018 as opposed to that onwards I think they were in the championship in 2018, weren't they? 2014. And they also sound the likes of Kevin Wimmer and uh, a yeah. few other players around that time. So maybe not that period. I think you're looking like early days at Stoke. But the thing is, he's not going to have as much money to work with at Huddersfield, is he, as he did at Stoke? And it, it was kind of like you hand him a cheque and he goes one or two ways, really, didn't it, when he was at Stoke? So maybe now that his. He's a bit more restricted. Uh, He'll have to be a bit more clever at that. Championship clubs will be able to name nine substitutes from next season. What does this mean, Justin? I don't know. They get extra two people on the subs bench. Subs benches don't have enough room as it is. This is ridiculous.
1: You see people sat on water coolers and cooling boxes. This this isn't football,
0: Ryan. This isn't football. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, People were saying, you know it will benefit the bigger sides. And that may be true to an extent, but I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. I mean, if it did make that much of a difference, then the Championship Clubs wouldn't have voted it through would they which is ultimately the whole reason why it's now a thing so yeah I don't think it really matters that much to be honest and finally Millwall's owner and chairman John Bevelson has died at the age of 70 following a tragic accident on Tuesday the club said the American businessman first became involved with the Lions in 2006 he became a significant shareholder of the club in 2007 and went on to replace Stuart Till as chairman in the same year he's overseen two promotions to the championship the club say he has presided over some of the greatest moments in Millwall's history and his influence in providing the platform for those was immeasurable incredibly sad news Justin in a purely football sense seemed like a great owner
1: yeah he did and again the direction he's taken Millwall to stabilize them as a championship club to turn them into or to allow others to turn them into a, um, a team gunning for promotion I think is quite staggering based on their budget and good owners are hard to come by and John Barrelson was one of them so it's it's a, it's a huge shame that um, yeah this has happened and hopefully millwall can um can use it as a as a bit of a motivation to to really to propel them forward this season and, and yeah play in his memory i guess so and yeah it's 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 really sad news
0: yeah he's basically taken millwall from a mid-table league one side to a stable top half championship side anti and I completely agree with everything you just say there just in you know we have a habit of and just the general media I suppose have a habit of focusing a lot on the bad football club owners John Berrelson was certainly one of the good guys and not just in terms of running a football club in a humble manner but also the tributes that have come out for him you've got former players saying he was a friend I imagine a lot of players have never even met the owner of their football clubs, so Incredibly tragic news, of course, we send our condolences to his friends, family and everyone attached to Millwall Football Club. Let's finish off with a game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe. Justin, this is the game where Justin's going to give me three questions and four options. All I have to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. I'm yet to get one of these right, so hopefully that changes today. Um, Justin, can I have the first one, please? I have a feeling you might do all right today.
1: Um, cool. So the That's first one fun. is is Watford managers and who's managed more games oh, God. <clears throat> uh, so actually going through their Wikipedia that's actually incredible <laughs> how many managers I could pick from so your managers are Slavin Bilic Vladimir Ivic Marco
0: Silva and Slavisi Ikanovic what are Viches? Il, uh, Bilic Silva Ivic and who was the other one? Ikanovic Ikanovic oh god Um, I don't think I'm going to do very well on this one because it's such a crazy time frame I'm going to put Ivic bottom then Bilic I can't really remember how long Marco Silva was there for
1: I completely forgot he was Watford
0: man. yeah I, I <laughs> forget about it a bit as well I'll go Ivich Bilic Silva Yucanovic from bottom to top so top Yucanovic
1: congratulations
0: Ryan you got I got them. it really you got them yeah, yeah, I did not give myself any hope there at all.
1: Yeah. Um, so Ivic had 22 games in charge, Bilic 25, Silva 26, and Nikanovic 36. Yeah.
0: I, I cannot remember Marco
1: Silva being there. No, neither can I. And I thought that might stump you. And again, Ivic was there from obviously start of the season to January. So I just remember sort of Ivic that. being
0: such a short period of time. And then I was thinking, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I'm glad to finally get off the mark in this game. Next one, Justin. The next one is who's had the most yellow cards in the championship? Oh God, so what this, is it? over their careers.
1: Yeah, over their careers. It was it was a weird it was a weird metric, but um, this will, this will be right. The order will be right. Um, so your players are Ben Pearson, Carl Henry, <laughs>
0: Henry Lansbury, and Danny Fox. Oh God, Pearson Henry. Lansbury, Fox. <laughs> That's confusing. Right, uh, Carl Lansbury Henry, Fox. Henry right. Well, Ben Pearson has a ridiculous number of yellow cards for the number of games he plays. I'm just wondering if his career hit is that long. Carl Henry, I usually think of as a bit of more of a Premier League player, but I don't think he actually played that many games in the Premier League. So I'll, I think it's between those two for the top one. I'll go. I'll go. Cole Henry top. Ben Pearson. Danny Fox. Henry Lansbury. It's completely wrong, <laughs> is it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Your top straight back was... down to earth. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> with a bump. Your top player is Henry Lansbury. He's technically the
0: dirtiest player in the championship ever. Really? Really? I just thought because cards. he spent so long in the Premier League as well, and barely played did... for Villa when he was there. He did volley Ryan Manning,
1: so maybe that's a telling of the personality True. and character Henry Lansbury is volleyed uh, Ryan Manning off the ball. That is, uh, so Henry Lansbury is top with ninety. Then it's Ben Pearson with sixty-eight. Mm. So quite a big drop-off. Lansbury's got 90. <laughs> 90 other cards. <laughs> <Flipping head. laughs> then it's Danny Fox with sixty-six. He surprised me because he's a doesn't come across as one who's going to kick people. Is what I'm saying. And it's Carl Henry, possibly the biggest shit house. I think, that I can think of off the top of my head, if you tell me shit out, so like Kevin get and Carl Henry, 61 yellow cards.
0: That surprises me. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough.
1: Final one, Justin? Your final one, I'm moving away from football for this. I'm going to films, mainly because you did to me with Star Wars and also I was there half ten last night, couldn't think of another category and I just thought, All Christopher right. Nolan films. We'll go. Christopher okay. Nolan films. Okay, Okay, I'm, I'm into this. It's the his highest grossing films. Um Right. So yeah. It's highest grossing films. And obviously this is an advert for, for Oppenheimer, if anyone wants to go and see it.
0: This is your ad. It's free. I will point out they are not paying us to say no, that. So no. point, <laughs> point. Yeah, we'll point that one We've out. We've legally got to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so your films are Interstellar, The Prestige, Inception, and Batman Begins. Hmm. If you threw in a Dark Knight, then that'll be straight to the top. I'm not sure about the others. Uh, The Prestige. I haven't seen that. Have you not? Oh my god! Yeah, what the other? Sorry. Film.
1: Uh, Interstellar, Inception, and Batman
0: Begins. Inception. I think. Uh, When I'm thinking Batman Begins, I'm thinking the comic book superhero factor has to be taken into account. But I don't think that was as well regarded as The Dark Knights were. So I'll go Inception Top. I think that's one of the highest grossing films ever. Then I'll go Batman Begins, then Interstellar, then The Prestige. You've got two right. Which ones did I get wrong? Uh, Interstellar and Batman Begins, Wrong Grey Round. Yes, I was. I, I knew Batman Begins wasn't that well regarded, and uh, I should. I should have really thought. Yeah. yeah so have. prestige,
1: prestige brought in 175 million. Batman Begins only 300 million, and it's a cracking mm. film. Uh, then Interstellar was 675 million, and then Inception at 826 million
0: yeah I always thought Inception would be top I just thought Superhero Factor may boost uh, Batman McGinn's up a bit more but there you go There we well there that's uh, Scott High and Ryan Lowe ladies and gentlemen this has been the Second Tier Podcast thank you for listening wherever you are this has been a weekly news roundup of everything going on in the championship and we'll be back again will we be back again next week I think we will with another news roundup next week or maybe we won't be I can't remember to be honest um But we'll definitely be back again next week. And we'll be back again on Sunday where me and Justin have another episode lined up for you. A bit of an interesting one. We're going to rank the top 10 worst transfers in Championship history. So that's going to be a bit of fun. We we were just talking about some of the best ever in Championship history. Now let's talk about some utter shite. Um, So we look forward to seeing you then on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you. Full list.